What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. As you notice, I'm I'm a little bit dejected. It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard after last week being right next to my guy, being in front of people, the energy. Now I'm back talking to this dude. He's still dancing. Ryan, What's I up, miss bro? you. Like how it's hard to go back to bro. this after last week, dog. That was fun. You know what I was thinking about? How much better our show is when we're together. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy oh. doing it like this. I love talking like this. But the interaction, the type of laughs we can have, the fun that we have when we do get together. And doing it in front of a live audience, bro, was Dude. even more of an add to what we already have. And so yeah. I've seen people who are like, man, we heard y'all on, the, on the, the speakers. We got to see y'all at the expo. Everybody loved it. Jordan was involved. We had fighters jump on yes. stage, man. Being at the UFC expo was truly an experience and kind of a great way to cap off what would be our second anniversary. You know, the, the producers told us to speak loud. Gilbert Burns goes, how loud do you two dudes talk? He goes, I can hear you from across the convention center. I said, they told us to speak loud. Ryan, let me tell you something a little behind the scenes. Dana White was supposed to be on right before us. Dana wasn't there at 12, and Dana didn't show up at 1230. It was packed. Dana, when, when they said, well, Dana's not coming, everybody filtered out. We were going on at 1 o'clock, RC. It was an empty area. We started to get a bit concerned that, my goodness, nobody's going to be there. But the moment we went out there, it yeah. was full. And so we yeah. su we really do appreciate all the support we got from the fans. You guys were very interactive. Hell, yeah. you even booed me because RC told you. You want to talk about getting some street cred? When you could get the fans to boo for the double champ, you got a little street cred, RC. Hey, DC, I think everybody just loves our relationship. They love the fact that I know yeah. that you're the double champ, but I constantly give you stuff. I try to turn everybody against you because it's all, we love DC. He's such a teddy bear. How sweet he is. You're basically <laughs> like, you're basically just the anti-John Jones as a person, even though you both were great, were great fighters. So I think that's why everybody loves you. But when it comes to this show, DC and RC, they realize who the antagonist is, right? They know who the true villain is, and they know who the biggest cheater on the show is, and it's not me. And so everybody <laughs> had my back. And then, too, I, I brought my son with me, so I had the dad sympathy as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did good, too, man. He did really. He actually did better than I thought. Like, when I left, I was hating on him. Everybody was like, Jordan did so good the whole time. I'm just hating. I'm like, man, he didn't do nothing. He was all right. <laughs> I'm hating on him because he was so good so fast. But... RC, when you talk about I'm a teddy bear, just call me the velvet teddy bear, you know? Pay homage to the great Luther Vandross. You know, I can <laughs> sing like Luther, too. You know, I can sing like Luther, too, no, at least in my own mind. You both just but eat RC, <laughs> we did, we did. RC, not only did I, hey, dude, winners win. And ultimately, last year I won a basketball game against players. I came back this year and I won again. RC, I'm 2-0 in the basketball competition, you had a fancy dinner so that you didn't come to play. But, yeah. bro, look at that. We got Jason Anik. We got Phil Rowe. We got the Schmo, Derek Brunson, a couple other dudes. Oh, look, the Canadian kid. I can't remember his name right now. I'm drawing a blank on him. He's had a phenomenal performance. Dog, we had a great time playing basketball. Jamal Hill can shoot. But, Doug, RC, you know my gimmick, right? Yeah. My gimmick is I try to take the upper hand. So if you look very closely at the picture – there's a dude in there that's 6'11". Yeah, that's I was a to say, dude that DC. graduated from Oklahoma State. He graduated from Oklahoma State with me. He one of my friends. He coaches for the Cleveland Cavs. So I showed <laughs> up with a 6'11", dude. <laughs> I showed up. It was summer league. He coached for the Cavs. 
Brock's coach for the Cavs, so I brought him to the games. It is what it is. Hey, DC, just listen, man. It's about your connection. As long as they have a connection to a fighter or a former fighter, I feel like they can be in the UFC game. This is what I know, though. If I know this is going to happen yearly, next year I will be there. There will be no dinner. Oh, that was a charge. That was, that was not a charge. That was you a charge. Him, DC. That was a DC. charge, RC. That you, was a charge. You, you stuck your foot out, and then you held your hands up like this afterwards, which is a clear sign of a man who knows he's done something wrong. Absolutely knows that he's done something wrong. Bro, the, the funniest part about that is that's all you dudes were talking about when we were at the expo. Who's going to play in the game? Yeah. What about the jerseys? Cassandra, I was texting her because yeah. I was hoping y'all could come out to eat. She was like, no, they got trophies for this thing. They got jerseys. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a real game, and I have to go. But I'm glad you won, DC. I'm sure that everybody yeah, will yeah. be back next year. But the way I saw Bilal Muhammad disrespect your basketball skills, bro, I can't believe you let those type of things go on. Yeah, man, it's crazy. They're disrespectful. Guys, on the show – we got more than just my superior dominance in basketball dominance in basketball to speak about. We got to talk about Volkanovski's dominance. We talk about Jones Stepe becoming official. We always tap in or we tap out. But RC, we were in Vegas for International Fight Week, and it was electric. I mean, the, the celebrities were out. The former president was out. He come out the Kid Rock every single time, too. He go, Donald Trump come out the Kid Rock song every time he come to a fight, dog. It is amazing. The crowd goes crazy every time he hits the curtain. It was an electric atmosphere, and everybody showed up for the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky. Man. When you go into these fights, you sit there with hope, right, that somebody's going to compete against him, that we get to see him have to go through what he did against – Ortega are some sort of problem. He had no problems last weekend. We built the fight on the fact that Yair Rodriguez was so different, he could cause issues. It was a wipeout, bro. And he looked better coming back down than he's ever looked. It felt to me, RC, like the weight and strength that he put on by going up to 55, he lost none of it going back mm. down. And Yair kind of looked like a kid in there with him because he was too much of a man for him. Well, you know what, though, D.C., this is the Alexander Volkanovsky that has been building, right? This wasn't the same guy that fought Max Holloway the first time, but it was more like the guy that mm -hmm. fought Max Holloway the third time or the guy that was able to escape the mounted guillotine of Brian Ortega, the dude that was able to get Islam Mahachev on his back and not get tapped out. All of these things <clears throat> have has been building Alexander Volkanovsky to who he is today. I told you before the fight, and I felt it wholeheartedly, that Alexander Volkanovsky would dominate Yair Rodriguez. And especially after we saw what Max Holloway was able to do him in the grappling and the wrestling when those two faced off at an epic fight night. Alexander Volkanovsky had an excellent plan. He was going to cut the distance. He was going to get his hands on him. He was going to take him down. He was going to ground and pound him, use his size and his width against Yair Rodriguez. In the third round, Yair started to have a little bit of success on his feet. The kicks were coming. He was staying at distance. But as soon as he got close enough, that right hand landed. And what I loved about Alexander Volkanovsky's finish was he didn't go crazy with the striking. He didn't try to put him out on the feet. He got close to him again. He took him down. The ground and pound was too much. It was an absolute virtuoso performance by Alexander Volkanovsky. 
I thought that he'd dominate. I actually thought that Yair would last because I felt that he could keep the distance. But when I realized he couldn't do that, there was nothing that he could do with the champ. And I'm excited to see what happens next for Volk. But a rematch with Islam Mahachev has to be somewhere in the near future. Well, and, and, and Dana White already said it, right? Dana already said that he'd be open to them running it back. Obviously, Volk said he has to have a surgery before he can move forward in his career. You know, the funny thing or the most interesting thing about Alexander Volkanovsky and the featherweight division, they ran that graphic, RC. There's only been like five champions in the history of that entire division. There aren't many champions, but when you get a champion, you've got to be so good that you hold that belt for a long time. And these guys, Max had five title fights. Volk has six title fights. Aldo had eight title fights. You've got to be so good to reach the mountaintop in this weight that ultimately by the time these challengers show themselves, you're continuing to level up. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Alexander Volkanovsky. I was watching him, and it seems as though his confidence level is growing as his skills are growing. So when you got a guy that is that desperate for knowledge, he told me that, uh, Ryan, when he's in the room, he'll meet a kid that's fresh off the team, right, that might be a better wrestler, and he's just picking his brain. He said that he's the annoying guy in the room that when he's around his teammates, he wants to know so much. He's trying to gather so much information. They're like, yo, we got to get away from this dude. This dude's a sponge. He's like, he really does want to be the best. And right now he's showing that at 145 pounds, I don't even know who's dangerous to him. Look, two weeks ago I spoke about Ilya Taporia, and glowingly, glowingly. But now after watching that, it's like, can Taporia really compete against this dude? Because Volkanovski for sure doesn't seem to think so. He told us on the show he didn't want to put him down because he has to build the fight. But the moment he was done with Yair, he was like, this guy has nothing for me. He's like, I'm going to wipe him out, and it's hard not to believe him. DC, it's extremely hard not to believe it. And when he said that last week, I was like, DC, when a dude says something like that about another fighter, fighter, he's watched the yep. fight from a different lens than what we have. He's put himself inside the octagon with Ilya Taporia already, and he knows the outcome of that fight. But this fight places him in rare air when it comes to the featherweight division. And you were asked during the weigh-in show to give your top three featherweights of all time. You have Uh Alexander Volkanovski at three before this fight. Mm -hmm. After watching this fight, DC, has that changed for you? And where would you rank Volk now? I, I, I gotta put him at one. I said not anymore. Because it's it's literally just a it's an eventuality that he's going to pass Jose Aldo and defend that belt eight times, or at least it feels that way. I'm not allowed to pick fights, so I can't say for sure he's gonna beat Ilya, but I will say this. It seems like eventually he will defend that title more times than Jose Aldo. Is it gonna be consecutive? I don't know. It would look that way with the way that he's just starting to pull away from the weight class, but uh Maybe he loses it. And if he does, he'll get a rematch. And then you got to think he might win the rematch. So he'll have so many opportunities to go past what Aldo did. But I think when I'm watching him, like, you know, sometimes RC, you can like, based on a guy's resume, you say, well, he's the best of all time in this weight class. Or he's one of the greatest fighters I've ever seen. Just based on his resume, you don't have to be looking at him. Then there are the guys that you look at and you go, well, 
I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this continue to get better. It's like, yes. wow, yeah. he's amazing. And then yeah. the next time you're like, man, he's even more amazing. He's got everything, bro. The guy has every single skill inside the octagon. And I think what proved that he's so good is that just going up to 55 and fighting in the way that he did. The fact that he made it questionable against mm-hmm. a guy who's looked as dominant as Mahachev tells you how good this man is. And we thought that Yair, because of the diverse attacks and the being unorthodox, would be an issue. Ilya Taporia is not that. He's nope. not unorthodox. He's very good at the basics. But, RC, can anyone with the basics beat this dude? Because this dude seems to be the best. Volk, I'm talking about, with the basics. It's not like well, he's, a- he's not wowing you. He's yeah, doing well, here's basic what, things, just really high level. Well, here's what Ilya Taporia said about Alexander Volkanovsky when he watched his win over Yair Rodriguez. No, I wasn't impressed. I'm not impressed by him. The world can be impressed with him, but I'm not. And I'm going to show this to everyone in December, hopefully. Like, I get that Ilya feels, and there's a level of competition when it comes to your opponent or to someone you look or hope to face in the future. But, bro, sometimes you just got to be real, right? It's like I'm not <laughs> going to stand across. I'm not going to stand across from Tom Brady, right, on the night that he puts his team in the AFC championship against us. And just because I have to play him, be like, well, you know, I mean, I've watched this dude win six Super Bowls, but, you know, even though he's going for his seventh as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, he's not I don't good. think he's that good. No, that's not how it works. Ilya – it's okay to say this dude is one of the best pound for pound because he is. It's been proven. What I think is amazing about Alexander Volkanovsky is this. When we watch Yair Rodriguez, we marvel at the diverse attack, attacks, right? The courage, the ability or the willingness to try things that are daring that no one else seems to want to try inside of the octagon. We watch Max Holloway, and we understand how great his chin is, but also he has a level of boxing that if it is matched by anyone in the entire organization, no one is better than him at at that. And then there are guys who we love their submission, submissions or their ground game. It just seems that Alexander Volkanovsky is really good at all of it. And that's why it's mixed martial arts. Maybe I can't outbox match max in the first fight but as i continue to grow by the time we get to the third fight i can maybe brian ortega is a better submission artist than i am but i can escape the submissions and win in the ground and pound and the stand-up like he could just do every single thing at such a high level and i feel like we're taking him for granted Taking him for granted because he's not mm-hmm. boisterous or he, he doesn't look at opponents and disrespect him. It's not all this stuff. No, he just goes out and he wins, DC, consistently and constantly against the highest level of competition every single time. I think he's the best doing it. I don't believe there's anyone for him in the featherweight division. And I believe that also a ton of lightweights would be pissed off if Volk made the permanent move to 155 because he'd be a guy there. He'd be tough for anybody in that weight class, you know, and the reality is this. When 
Alexander Volkanovsky is on his game. He's as good as anyone in the world. But ultimately, when you defend in the way that you did, people start to question what's next. And a lot of people are saying, can he fight Mahachev in Abu Dhabi in October? Volk said he's hurt. So I don't anticipate that being the fight. But the reality is that performance warrants another fight. Hell, he could have got a rematch even after losing the first fight. It was that close. But... I think it's going to be Ilya Teporia. I think it has to be, and I think it has to be later in the year because I do feel that we owe it to that great champion to allow for him to get healthy. Because if he went into a rematch with Mahachev right now and he's not healthy, saying he needs a surgery, how fair is that to Volk? That he should get ready in nine weeks to try to hurry up or, no, no a little bit longer because we go nine weeks in September. He needs to be ready in 13 weeks to go back up to 155 to fight Islam Mahachev. I think it's Teporia. And, bro, Teporia is a special talent. He's really, really good at everything in the octagon. But the, 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 the matchup, they seem pretty even in regards to what their skill set is. The skill set is, is, is boxing, great wrestling, great grappling, but mostly boxing. They seem to have a very similar skill set. And to your point, Ryan, when someone has... One great thing, Volk can match him because he's so well-rounded. How does it look whenever you have two well-rounded guys that are very similar when one has proven to be the best in the world against all the best in the world, right? It's going to be an uphill battle for Teporia. But I think that the mind games that he's playing with himself is very beneficial because you've got to believe when you're fighting guys like Alexander Volkanovsky and Valentina Shevchenko and Juliana Pena was the only person crazy enough to think that she would beat Amanda Nunes. You got to believe. And that's what Ilya Teporia is doing right now. Yeah, he's, he's believing, but it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to actually achieve. And that is what <laughs> Alexander Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky has been doing. And I look forward to seeing what sort of challenge Ilya can put up if those two step inside the octagon here in 2023 later on. But I still look at Alexander Volk- Volkanovsky as someone that's extremely hard to beat. We also had an epic, in my opinion, co-main event in moreno Pantoja yes. 2. And it's honestly the third time that these two fighters have faced each other, but the second time as professionals of the UFC. And if you look at the scorecards, DC, there was one scorecard that made no sense. In no way was this fight 49-46 for anyone, but that's what Cartledge, Ben Cartledge, had it for Brandon Moreno. And it was 48-47, 48-47, Alejandre Pantoja on the other two scorecards. And I'm going to say this about the fight, DC. And this may not make sense, and this may get me called casual for like the first time in over a year <laughs> on this show, right? Because I know this is not how it works. If this is one 25-minute fight and we're watching it in our backyards or we're watching it at the school grounds mm-hmm. or we're watching it on the basketball court. It don't work court, like that. Don't say it. It don't right. work like that. It don't work like but that. that. That is going to be my point. You watch this fight and you mm-hmm. could be mistakenly, you can mistakenly feel Brandon Moreno won this fight. Because when you look at the overall mm-hmm. fight, you could feel that way. But when you look at the way it went round by round, I do see the path to a 48-47 decision for Pantoja to be the new champion. 
And I think it was his use of the takedown. It was his use of control time. Sometimes just taking Moreno's back just to make sure he didn't suffer the losses that he was uh, suffering sometimes in the striking after the first round. I thought it was a great game plan. I thought he executed it to the top of his potential and ability. And I also thought on the other side of it, Brandon Moreno fought a hell of a fight. This is what the flyweight championship should look like, and I have no problem with a split decision going to Pantoja, mm. who is the new champion and just seems like an all-around good dude to cheer for. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, meeting-free Fridays. Well, what about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch at your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow, whether you're auctioning autograph apparel or selling sleek skis. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash DCRC. All lowercase, go to shopify.com slash DCRC now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash DCRC. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. You know what, RC? The only real issue I have was 49-46. And I'll be honest yep. with you completely. Ben Cartledge is a guy that I rely on from my, like, judging uh, perspective because he is clearly one of the best judges in the world. By far, I email him if I have a question on judging. He's so in tune with everything, but I haven't spoken to him about that fight card in particular. I'm going to reach out to him um, today, actually, and I'm going to say, Ben, walk me through how you got 49-46 for Moreno. 49-46 for Pantoja that seemed like it could be more likely if anyone won four rounds. Three rounds to Pantoja, I agree with. Here's where my issue was. Round one, Pantoja got the knockdown, he won. Round two, Brandon Moreno won that round. Round three was a very close round. Pantoja got a takedown, controlled him on the ground for a long period of time in that round. He won that round. Round four and round five were very similar rounds. Brandon Moreno starts really good on the feet. Pantoja takes him down, controls his back for about two minutes at a time. Round four, on those two scorecards that ultimately won Pantoja the fight, was scored for Moreno. Round five, which was almost the same round with Pantoja controlling him from the back, was scored for Pantoja. What in those moments allowed for them to score that round for Pantoja and not the other one, when in the beginning of round five, Brandon Moreno had more success with his hands than he did the first time in round four. He did great to start the round. But I thought what Alessandre Pantoja did really well was execute the plan that those guys put together for him. He knew that he was the more powerful striker early. But when he realized how much improvement Moreno had made on the feet, he went to the grappling. You cannot get taken down seven times. Yeah. Yeah. And keep a championship, especially when you get taken down seven times and you're giving control in every one of those takedowns. It's not like Brandon was getting taken down and popping back up. He was getting taken down and he was getting held down for long periods of time. And, bro, one of the worst positions in the octagon is being somebody being on your back. You don't want another man on your back inside of a fight. Pantoja spent four minutes there. There's value in that. There's value in control. There's value in advancing position to the back control and maintaining the back control. So while people say they don't like that, oh, he just take him down and hold him, shouldn't win you a fight, it is all areas of mixed martial arts RC, and it comes down to damage. Moreno won that. Duration and dominance would seem to go to Pantoja, and that's two of the three judging criteria that he won in that fight. They say, you know, that's a good explanation because Gilbert Melendez was sitting right behind me throughout the fight. And uh, I think Jens Pover as well. He had a hat on, though, so I'm not sure if it was actually him. But they were just kind of talking through some of the grappling transitions. And I thought Brandon did a much better job in this fight than he has in the first two with Alejandre Pantoja in the grappling like transitions, like he was able to fight. Sometimes he was able to turn back control and he was able to get inside full guard on the top. And so I thought Brandon did a good job in that. And he also did a good job of managing damage while on the ground. Pantoja, though, he searched 
for some submissions didn't do much damage to Brandon while the uh, during the duration of that control time, DC. And so when you look at that and you hear that counter argument to your control time argument, how do you explain to people the difference in the way that judges can see control time as opposed or compared to damage com uh, completed on the ground? You know, I just think that when you're holding someone, whether it be against the side of the octagon or taking them down, they do not want to be there. And I think you really got to put, Ryan, if you and I are fighting and you're the better striker, if I grab you and I push you against the octagon side and I hold you there for 10 minutes, you are going to do everything in your power to get out of that position. If you can't, I'm putting you there. I am making you fight where you are uncomfortable. There's value in that. I understand that need to see people trading. I understand that need to feel like you're watching one person win and the other person lose. That's exactly what you're watching when someone's getting taken down over and over again, when someone's getting controlled in a clinch alongside of the octagon. Those are all areas that allowed for Pantoja to win. And here's another thing. For as good as Brandon looked in the feet with the jab, he fought beautifully behind the jab. It's not like Pantoja was not landing. He was still yeah. landing. Pantoja was getting his shots off, just not at the rate that Moreno was getting off. So while Moreno was landing more, Pantoja would get off. Boom, he would land. He would land. He would land, and then he would control him. He would fight him in the stand-up. Then he would control him. That, to me, sounds like a guy that's winning the fight because the Pantoja corner told him, don't give him so many free jabs. Start the jab with him. When he started to do that, he started to land too. They were just splitting jabs. And then he would control him. Very close fight. But I had to fight for Moreno. Here's the one thing. For Moreno or for Pantoja? You had, you had to fight for, for Moreno? Pantoja, sorry. Okay. For Pantoja. For Pantoja. I had it for Pantoja 3-2. to two. But here's the question, RC. And I feel like this is what happened with Davis and Figueredo. When you fight Brandon Moreno, you have to go so deep into the well to win that it takes so much out of you. When... Davison fought Brandon the first time. He didn't expect him to be so good that he kind of fought him to a draw and was surprised. Went back, Brandon wiped him out. He beat him in L.A., but it was so tough that by the fourth fight, he had nothing in him. Pantoja went into that fight having beaten this guy twice and thought he was going to walk through him. It was that hard. When you look at the new champion and you look at Brandon Moreno, who seems to get a lot of rematches, can Pantoja knowingly get back to that place because, R.C., he went and emptied all the reserves to get that split decision victory. We know Moreno will go there time and time again. Do you feel confident that if these two fight again, Pantoja can dig back into all that emotion, his dad, his yeah. children, changing his life? Can he dig back to all that to match Moreno again? Because I feel like that is where Moreno separates himself from a lot of the guys that he fights in these title fights. You know what, DC, the, the one thing that I said when I started this job, and I just mean being an analyst, not necessarily doing UFC as an analyst and commentator as well, is that I can never measure a man's character. You just can't. I can never measure what a man is made of. And when you see the pictures now of Alejandre Pantoja driving Uber Eats a few years ago, when you listen to him talk about the love he was searching for, for from his father, the love he has for his family, and just wanting to take care of, that, of them. It doesn't stop when you win the championship. 
you still feel those things. You still chase those whys. And now he'll be doing that as a champion. So I can't say whether he can dig that deep or not. What I can say is he stood across from Brandon Moreno three times. Brandon Moreno has always been this same person internally, and he's beaten him three separate times. He's not scared of Brandon Moreno. He's not scared to go deep into the deep waters with Brandon Moreno. But I don't think that this fight hinges on that. I think this fight hinges on Brandon Moreno continuing to sharpen his skills, continuing to be a better fighter. No matter what the outcome of these fights are, Brandon Moreno has been better every single time, DC. And if you look at the first round, in which Alejandro Pantoja dominated, right? The two huge lefts, one that drops Brandon Moreno. He was superb in the second round, which is a time where he could have folded. He showed how much intestinal fortitude he actually had, right? What type of dude, what type of layers made the man? And so I think that this is a fight, if we see it again, both men will dig deep, but the skill in the end will determine the winner. To you, DC, is it a no-brainer that they run this fight back right now? Or do you include Amir Elbazi? Do you try to bring back Akai Kara France, who, was, who seemed to be robbed recently? What should be next up for both of these men? You know, if I'm being completely honest, bro, we have guys that deserve. I mean, Elbazi has looked like a world beater. Obviously, he had that massive win in his last fight. But I think... You run these dudes back. You let Pantoja and Moreno fight again. I think it was such a close fight, such a competitive fight. You run it back. I know people get upset because Moreno has now been in five straight title fights. And in the five title fights, he's lost two of them, maybe three. So he he, he, he drew, he had a draw. Then he won. So he's one and one. Then he lost. So he's one and two. Then he won. He was two and two. Moreno has won, has fought Five fights in a row, and he's two, one, two, two, and one. Yeah. So it's not like he has the most glowing title fight record, but he's, he deserves because you don't have anybody else that is just like this guy's glaring. Ilya Taporia is next for a number of reasons. He looks so good, but also because the champ has beaten so many guys in the weight class. We don't have that at 125. Yeah. You don't have a guy that stands out above the pack outside yeah. of Brandon Moreno. So I think those guys run it back. Yeah, I think I think those guys run it back. But you make a good point that Brandon Moreno is 2-2-1 two, two, in his last five fights. But you also have to think that those were against Davidson Figueredo, who at the time that Brandon Moreno fought, fought him to a draw seemed indestructible, if we're being honest. The shot or the body kick that put Kai Kara France down was a thing of beauty and total dominance in that fight. And so it's one of those weird places where Brandon Moreno actually hasn't had an opportunity, I guess, to run through the division because he's fighting the best in the division, much like our next guy, Robbie Lawler, who, I'm be honest, DC, I don't know Robbie at all. I've never met Robbie Lawler. I've never been in a room with Robbie Lawler. I got misty-eyed watching his tribute video after he knocked out Nico Price. And this is a dude that displayed the ultimate toughness as it pertained to being a fighter in the UFC, as it pertained to carrying the championship belt. 
And for him to go out this way with the vicious left hands in the clinch that dropped Nico Price, and then to see the raw emotion in watching a video that was a tribute to him while he stood in the octagon with Joe Rogan, it was truly a storybook ending for ruthless Robbie Lawler. When you think back to his career, DC, how sweet of an ending must it have been for him to walk out of the octagon the last time as not only a winner, but a dominant winner? RC, it never happens. It Think back to all the greatest champions except Floyd Mayweather. Nobody, nobody gets that. We all lose. You all, it's just a matter of how you lose. Do you get knocked out? Or do mm-hmm. you just get beat? Robbie Lawler got a fairy tale ending. One of the biggest issues with the way that it ended for Robbie is people generally want to go back because they're like, man, I got much more left than I believe. No, it's perfect. You're Snow White. You are Cinderella. You got Prince Charming. Watching that man inside the octagon, looking up at the career and his lip kind of quivering, we were all tear up. None of us were dry-eyed in the entire T-Mobile arena because Robbie Lawler has been such a picture of controlled violence, such a picture of uh, intensity. To see him let you behind the wall a little bit was something special, man. And he's a good dude. And from the start of the week to the fight and the post-fight interview, he was a little more open. And when they played that video package, bro, you saw how much it meant to Rob. Dude, we saw him in 2000 fighting made his UFC debut in 2002 this guy's been around the game forever bro and he has done a tremendous job of becoming a champion and now ending with the great one of the best knockouts he's ever had because he did it nasty man uppercut left hand down goes Nico Price it was tremendous yeah it was tremendous and just to be in the building for a moment like that with somebody who has been a large piece of many of us fans on the outside large piece of our UFC experience was absolutely phenomenal. DC, I'm going to say this now. UFC and mixed martial arts retirements are like rap retirements. You're only retired until your next fight is booked or until your next album is (laughs) dropped. Is Robbie Lawler's retirement one that you think will stand? It's done. It's done. You know how I know it's done, RC? Because at the post-fight press conference, they asked him about fighting Conor McGregor, and he said no. Nobody else, nobody else would, like, say no to Conor McGregor. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely fighting. Robbie Lawler goes, no, I'm good. And I believe it's real. Because, partly because of the reasons he gave me as to why he's done. He said, I don't enjoy the process. When I'm not in camp, I feel like I'm still that dude. But the moment I'm in camp and I'm depleted a little bit from the weight, from the diet, from the nutrition, I feel like, man, I'm just not that guy. I'm not enjoying it. And that dude enjoys fighting. And if Robbie Lawler don't enjoy fighting, he ain't going to fight no more. And I think that's where he is in his career. RC, one guy that does love fighting is Drake's Duplessis. This guy now has a nickname. They call him DDP, like Diamond Dallas Page, the Diamond Cutter. I see DDP all weekend after Drake's Duplessis won. He knocks out Robert Whitaker, earns himself a championship opportunity, and sanity explodes right after between him and Israel Adesanya. How impressed were you by Drakus and him beating Robert Whitaker in the way that he did when nobody really gave him a chance? Everybody DC, thought he was going to get wiped out. DC, I didn't think it was going to be close. 
I'm being honest with you, to <laughs> watch him dominate Robert Whitaker the way he did. He ended up in top position in round one. He dropped him with a jab. And when you looked at the two <laughs> fighters inside the octagon, you saw how much bigger Drakus was than Robert Whitaker. But when I watched him yep. drop him with the jab that he was trying to turn away from the hook after throwing, I was like, holy crap. Like, that showed you how strong and how hard of a puncher or striker that Drakus Duplessis was. And it was as impressive of a win as we saw the entire night. And now when you look at beating Till, coming back and beating Derek Brunson after Brunson had him down in some ground and pound during round one earlier in March, I think that this guy has earned his way to a title fight. When you beat someone like Robert Whitaker, who was searching for his third fight against Israel Adesanya the way that he did. And, you know, now we have the matchup that I think Israel Adesanya wanted. Obviously, if you're Drakus Duplessis, you want it. And it's time to get it on at 185. You know, these guys, it's just short time, right? Short time. We're nine weeks or nine weeks from Saturday, last Saturday, to the championship fight in Sydney, Australia. That's where Izzy lives. That's where Izzy represents and trains. These two young men, though, do not like each other. Israel Adesanya holds no love for Drake as Duplessis, and it's rooted in a lot of different things. But you watch him go at him in a way that we really haven't seen Izzy with people. Very rarely does Izzy show emotion. He went at Duplessis with, a, with, with, like, emotion, and he wants to fight him. He said that he manifested this fight between the two. But what makes Drake's Duplessis so impressive is his physique. Obviously, he's a big guy for the weight class, but he's so unorthodox. And because he's so unorthodox, it works. Does that unorthodox style, though, cause issues for the last style bender because what Izzy has been in with is a guy in Robert who's very good at popping in and out a guy in Alex Pajeda who's a kickboxer Duplessis is none of those things he's a guy that darts in and out he's a guy that when he got when he got Robert down in the wrestling he was beating him up at the end of round number one and you could imagine if he's able to take the last style bender down he would try to do the same thing this is a very very tough matchup for the champion, even though he may not feel it. He said he wanted it, and he wants it for a number of reasons. He wants to beat Drakus. How does Drakus match up to the long-rated champion? This was interesting. I love it. When you have an issue with somebody, you want to fight them, RC. Yeah. They get an opportunity to fight. That's the beauty yeah, in our I job. Think, I think I think the, the, the issues are kind of the part that – people from here don't necessarily understand, right? We're talking about, we're talking about South, South African. We're talking about Nigerian and Israel Adesanya's heritage, his, his played out genetics mm -hmm. being questioned. Yep. And that's when Israel Adesanya yes. says, nah, look at me. I don't need, he said 36 in me. I think it's like 23 in me or something like that. But he's like, I don't need that to know where I'm from. And you're talking about Israel Adesanya that sat down with us on the pivot and spoke about how growing up in New Zealand, his Nigerian heritage was something he was bullied about. And so now you have this man from South mm -hmm. Africa where apartheid ran rampant throughout the 20th century. Yep. You have someone questioning that. And so this was personal, right? You mentioned we don't see Izzy go at dudes like that. That's because it's personal. 
This is different, yeah, it right? Is. This is like being from the boot and growing up where we're from and hearing some of the things that we heard about ourselves, that we heard about our skin, yep. and now you get to face that dude. The thing is this. I do believe being inside the octagon with Alex Pajeda helps Israel Adesanya in this fight for this reason. The thing I noticed most about Dracus when he dropped Rob was, oh, my God, this guy is so strong. There is no harder puncher, striker in the world than Alex Paeda at 185 pounds. And Israel Asanya has spent his last seven rounds inside the octagon with that man. I think this fight will have him focus. I believe he'll train much in the same way people say he upped his training for the last fight with Alex. And I think it's going to be an absolute banner, burner, uh, barn burner. But I do believe Israel Adesanya's smarts, Israel Adesanya's skill, his technique is what he leans on for this fight. And I believe it's going to be a master class in how to control an octagon. You know, when you guys start to... When people start to get a little upset at Israel for the way that he behaved, go and look at his Instagram. He has a, a video of Drake is kind of questioning where he's from in wins, uh, talking about him and Cameron Simon. And I like Drakus, but we cannot omit some of the behaviors that led to the actions that happened on Saturday night. And if you need a little bit more information, as Ryan said, look up the apartheid. I'm not, I am by no means saying that Israel Adesanya using that word inside the octagon was acceptable. But when you look into the details, when you get deep into what these guys are going through or what Izzy is perceiving this to be, then you start to kind of come to terms with what's going on in his mind and his behaviors. Me, I cringe when I heard it. I understand the way that that could be perceived. But we also have to remember, Israel Adesanya was one of the few black fighters right, because he is a black man, he will be seen like that, no matter if he's Nigerian descent and grew up in New Zealand, when he said, yes, I support Joe Rogan because that's my N-word, right? I would never say that because the association mm -hmm. that I have with the word growing up in New Orleans, Louisiana, being called that, having to deal with that, being thought of as inferior because of my skin color and the way that word was used, I wouldn't say those things. Israel has a different yeah. association to the word. And so I think there are so many nuances that, that go into his behavior inside the octagon. The thing I hated was this. Dracus, right, has instigated and started the fire that led to that moment. And when he was face-to-face -face with Israel Adesanya and finally had that opportunity to, as the young people say, talk your ish, he did not. And then he yep. went to the press conference and goes, that is not the way a champion is supposed to act. I don't like that. That's a soft move to mm -hmm. me because you had your opportunity. And so there's so much that goes into it. I know we don't have time, but for that yeah, part yeah, of yeah. it, people really need to study the history of apartheid, the history yep. of South Africa, and understand the association with that word is definitely different for many of us. And that part I did not approve of, even though it's not my place to approve of anything he does as a man i'll be honest rc i didn't know joe rogan told me because i was like joe what was is he talking about and rogan and it's rogan has a lot of knowledge and he immediately pulled up his phone and showed me well he goes drake is his dutch and dutch he went through this whole thing right and right away i was like oh this is what this is 
So it was like, it's just a lot to it, guys. Yeah. I'm telling you, I advise you to go and dig into all this a little bit to see why the bad blood between Israel and Asanya and Drake as Duplessis is bad blood. As much as you guys enjoyed the, the John Jones, Daniel Cormier thing because it was real, this is not fabricated. This is real, and it'll be explosive when it finally comes to a head. RC, great job, man. You're always good uh, with these types of conversations. But RC, something that's a little bit easier to talk about and something that makes us actually happy, John Jones and Steve Miocic are finally announced for yeah, Madison bro. Square Garden. How exciting is it to see that these two men are finally going to settle the debate between John and Stipe? I think it's I think it's huge for the sport, though, right? You know, the one thing you guys always did well in the UFC is you kind of get to see the fights you want. And we had gotten to a point with John where it didn't seem like we'd see the fights that we wanted. We missed John Jones, Francis Ngannou, and then we got John Jones, Cyril Gan. John Jones, Stipe Miocic has been talked about for months. And now that it's finally set, and we know it's set for Madison Square Garden, this is as big of news that could be released by the UFC in 2023 or throughout its history. We're talking about Stipe Miocic, the greatest heavyweight of all time in the UFC, against John Jones, who many consider the GOAT of the entire organization of mixed martial arts as a whole. And so this is as exciting yep. as it gets. Two of the all-time greats facing off in the historic Madison Square Garden. And I couldn't be more excited. DC, for you, having been in the octagon with both of these men, albeit John at 205 twice, how do you see such a great matchup? Well, I did, I did a little bit of a breakdown like on this fight the other day uh, because I feel... Honestly, RC, we're going to know very early. We're going to know very early how this one's going to go. Because we're going to know in the Stipe Miocic that we see, if he's a little bit slower, if he isn't the same guy at 41, we're going to know. But if he's still quick, because that's one of the things Stipe did really well. He's fast for a big guy. He's got fast hands. He's very explosive. He's got tremendous boxing. We'll know very fast who Stipe Miocic today is, opposed to the guy we saw against Francis Ngannou a couple years ago. John Jones, we know who he is now. We know that John Jones is a little slower. Yeah. He said yep. it himself. I gained 30 pounds. Of course, I'm going to be a little slower. We know that John Jones is still a very, very high-level fighter, even up at heavyweight and a little heavier. So it's like you have to see from the start, how Stipe Miocic looks in his movement. Because if he's still quick, if he's still light on his feet, and if he's still fast with his hands, he could potentially cause the new John Jones some real issues. And I think that's what's exciting, right, DC? Like, you want to see John Jones in some sort of trouble or adversity at the heavyweight division, which we didn't get to see against Cyril Ghosn because he was able to submit him so early. Another fight that has been announced is Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury, and it's going to be the boxing match. And I'm going to tell you this. I've never seen any man in the world fumble the bag upwards the way that Francis Ngannou <laughs> has fumbled it, okay? Whoa. If I'm going to fumble, hell, let me fumble some dang bags and end up in Sorry, the positions Francis. that Francis Ngannou Sorry, is Francis. in. But even 
outside of how happy we both are that Francis Ngannou is getting the type of money and opportunities that he stood on. He stood on himself having these opportunities. Is that a place where he actually wants to stand? Because in a boxing ring with Tyson <laughs> Fury, D.C., does he stand a chance? Let, let me tell you something. First off, I'm sorry, Francis. Yeah, I, I want to fumble your bag too, Francis. Like, I mean, boy. But, R.C., can I ask you a question? Do you have to be a little bit naive to go out in that world like that and know your value to the point that you will, even when it looked dark, to stand on your loyal and go, it'll happen for me. Francis had just enough of that, and now he finds himself, he's going to make more money than he ever could have imagined making in his entire life. Yep. Because guess what, RC? They're fighting in Saudi Arabia, which somehow literally just bought the PGA. Hey, bro, could you imagine how much it. money these dudes about to get? Just bought it. If they bought golf, like how much money do you have to have to buy golf? When golf <laughs> a year ago was mad because you started a league. Like right. they actually bought golf. Francis hey. and Tyson Fury are going to make so much money, it's crazy. DC, this is what Saudi Arabia did, man. It was like a dude that got caught up with his girl, and he just bought her a bigger ring, a house, and a car. Like, they were like, you know what? Yes. It's cool. I know y'all mad we started this golf league. We got so much money, we're going to buy you. And so think about Francis and Tyson fighting there, bro. Going to be major paper. Dude, I'm telling you, like, this guy is uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy turn of events for Francis Ngannou, but we are both insanely happy for him. Yes. I, I want to be wrong in this situation. I'm happy that he's getting paid in that way. But that leads to this question. You go fight Tyson Fury in a boxing match because ultimately you fight Tyson Fury, you got to give in to whatever he wants. Is Francis Ngannou ever going to fight in the PFL or, see, or do you no. think this is one of those situations where he for makes what? so much money he might be done? You know what? I don't want to say... He's going to be done because that will question how much he actually loves fighting. But he will be in that awkward position that we kind of saw Conor McGregor in. And, like, why are you fighting? And how much do you put into fighting? And for Francis Ngannou, there won't be the sort of matchups or the sort of high-stake names in the PFL that you could have those sort of money opportunities against in the UFC. And so I do believe, depending on what Francis Ngannou makes, depending on how this fight goes, this could be the last time we see him in combat sports as a whole. Could I ask you a question, though? Like, he's going to be a part of the pay-per-views, right, when PFL makes him fight or when he get, they get him to fight. Does fighting Tyson Fury elevate his star power to the point that he can come back and headline pay-per-views against guys that the PFL have? And maybe they don't do three, they don't do four, five, six hundred thousand buys, but I'm pretty sure he'll get money on pay-per-view number one. So if he sells yeah. two hundred thousand pay-per-views, dude's making a ton of money. Yeah, he's gonna this is gonna elevate his name. I don't believe Francis Ngannou is the type of personality that it elevates him necessarily beyond this bout. In the sense that people will be excited to see what he could do against Tyson Fury, but I don't necessarily know if that carries past this because we have to remember, it wasn't just Conor McGregor's ability as a striker or a boxer that got him inside the ring with Floyd Mayweather. It was his ability to mm -hmm. build a fight. It was his ability to get your yep. interest. It was his ability to be a star. Yep. It was star power. There were times during that press tour 
where Floyd Mayweather barely talked. He just sat there, <laughs> and Conor McGregor did Conor McGregor. And so I think Conor's You're been right. able to carry that more so than the fact that he was able to get inside a boxing ring. But you know what time it is, DC. You know what time it is, bro. Yes. Time to tap you gotta in. Get, you got to start up. getting dressed. Hey, you got to start getting dressed. Cinderella's at the ball tonight. My boy RC is at the S. All right, guys. Let's tap in. <laughs> Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner put on a show at UFC 290. Afterwards, Hooker posted pictures of his x-rays showing he fractured his arm and orbital bone during the fight. RC, tap in or tap out, continuing to fight with multiple broken bones. I tap out. That's dumb. I tap all the way out. <laughs> and this is why DC's on that side of the screen. Wait, he's on that side. Wait, no, he's on that side. That yeah, side of the yeah. screen, yeah, and yeah. I'm on this side. This is the ain't fighting with broken bones side. This is the ain't fighting with my face broke, my arm broke, none of those things. But I do tap in on this. Dan Hooker's commitment to the sport. All of these fighters' commitment yep. to their craft. Now, at that time, you don't know it's broken sometimes. You just know it's hurt. Oh, yeah, you but do. But to be, to be in – oh, you know it's broken, DC? To be in that sort oh, yeah. of pain and not question it and continue fighting is something I cannot fathom. I have so much respect for fighters like Dan Hooker or any of those who continue to fight through these circumstances because these men know if they take that L or if that causes them to lose a fight, it changes their lives and careers. RC, you know what's crazy about that is that a little bit ago we were talking about Dan Hooker retiring. Like yep. we just thought he didn't have it no more. And this dude has now done what he's done. But RC, you know it's broken because I broke my hand before in the first round of a five-round fight. And every time you hit him with it, it's like lightning shocks, shocks through your, your hand. Ah. It hurts bad. But so every time he got kicked again, every time he got hit in the eye, I can only imagine the pain Dan Hooker was feeling. I have more respect for him today than I've ever had because to go through what he went through in that type of fight and win, nuts. And that to beat Jalen Turner, a good Jalen Turner, yeah. on a good Jalen Turner night with those injuries, very impressive. Corporate Jake. I guess also at 290, Bo Nickel was victorious in quick fashion once again inside the octagon, keeping his undefeated record intact. DC, tap in or tap out on the UFC, continue to slow build Bo Nickel. I tap in, but 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 like you got to step up the competition a little bit, right? And Jamie Pickett was a guy that didn't have much success in the UFC at all. He's a contender series guy. Val Woodbine was a guy that came in on a few days' notice and was going to be a contender series guy. Now it's time to fight an actual UFC guy. I don't know who that is, but it's time now to put him in there with someone that has fought in the UFC and found some level of success in the UFC. I'm not saying put him into the top 10. Give him somebody that has some UFC wins. But yes, slow roll him. But start to kind of elevate him now. Maybe like an older veteran, someone that's been around for a while, see what he can do with a guy that defends takedowns or actually throws a punch. Dude, Bo Nickel hit Val, boom, backed up. Val was still standing. <laughs> Val was still standing there. So Bo Nickel hit him again. Boom. He's like, whoa, he's still standing there. So then he hits him again and then Val falls down. Ryan, bro, Val never moved his feet after getting bro, hit felt, three times. Dog. I felt bad for Val, man. That, that, Val was extremely outmatched. And I tap in <laughs> that they should slow roll him, but you got to up the competition if you just want us to take anything seriously. <laughs> the only thing I did like about it 
was he didn't take him down. He at least beat him striking, even though he was striking against a mannequin. Go ahead, Jake, man. Give <laughs> All right, guys, last one. Stop, RC. During his Hall of Fame induction, Donald, Donald Cowboy Cerrone was sporting his usual cowboy hat. We have seen the two of you in the past sport a cowboy hat of your own. DC, tap in or tap out. RC looks the best in a cowboy hat. 100%. DC, why you got the Yellowstone smolder? Smolder, anyway. Smolder. Smolder. Yes, yes, yes. yes what yes. is that? Oh, man. RC, look at it. Look at it, RC. I'm like, I'm like a rip. I'm trying to be like rip out yeah, there. Yeah, you look terrible. There's a hundred and... <laughs> I look terrible, RC. You look terrible, I look bro. like one of the broke-ass cowboys. I look like <laughs> one of the broke cowboys. I'm like, yo, stay away from that, dude. Yeah, you look... It was 115 degrees out there, bro, whenever we were filming that. It was hot. I was in Arizona. I couldn't stand it. RC, your hat is a little too high. I think Cowboy wears the hat the best, man. He's the Cowboy. RC, yeah. you got to put it over your well, brow, well, man. Why hey, you got it so far back? Cowboy kills it, but my producer, <laughs> Alicia, said like, I couldn't have it over my eyes. Like she needed The okay, camera okay. needed to be able to see my eyes. So I just threw it up on top of my head just to have it, have it somewhere. But DC, bro. Today's show was great, but our weekend was yeah. absolutely amazing, man. Um, that's two years for us since this oh, show started. I believe the first show was the week of McGregor Poirier at International Fight Week. We've had absolutely bomb times down there at Vegas. The show with you, man, is still growing, still having a great time. I appreciate you letting my son come on. And, bro, just thank you yeah. for continuing to be with me throughout the journey. My brother, it was amazing. Hey, dude, I got a text message that said, hey, man, I started crying when Ryan gave you your flowers up there. You're the man, RC. But, dog, man. you know, you cannot make fun of Val, man. We got to hope huh? that Val at some point turns it around and gets going in the right direction because we all love the guy. Guys, hey. every Tuesday, catch me and what, RC? Val catch was straight Like, why? YouTube, Val was just there. ESPN Plus. <laughs> Everywhere you get your podcast. And now Midnight Eastern on ESPN 2. <laughs> Like, they didn't tell Val he had a fight. They didn't tell Val he was fighting. Somebody get Ryan Clark, man. <laughs> <laughs>